0: Prison Helfand, this meeting is now being recorded. You may begin the Retirement Board meeting of February 14, 2024, at this time. Commissioner O'Connor? Present. Commissioner Thomas? Present. Prison Helfand? Present. Commissioner Driscoll? Present. Thank you. We have a quorum.
1: Thank you. First
0: item please. number two communications. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at this meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to two minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by call in. For each item, the board will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by via phone by calling 415-655-0001, access code 2662-712-5389, then pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, press star 3 to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your TV, radio, or computer. Also, please note that city policies, along with federal, state, and local law, prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. We thank you for joining us. Yes, item number three, general public comment. Those that would like to speak, general public comment, please step up to the podium.
2: Yes, my name is Fred uh, Sanchez. Uh, I'm president of Protect Our Benefits. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Trustee Engardo, who in absentia, I mean, but uh, we're going to look forward to working with him. And uh, I also want to... Uh, mentioned that you know I've had some issues where I had to talk to somebody here and you call customer service here and guess what somebody actually picks up or if you leave a message they get back to you within an hour it's wonderful their service and uh, I want people to realize when they do things you might remarry or you become a domestic partner and you do that over at City Hall don't make the assumption that I made And thinking that city hall sends it over here you have to get the physical certificate and file it over here so just as a service to let people know make sure that you follow up and file it here and once again thank you for everything you do here it's a great organization thank you
0: (laughs) thank you for your comments is there anyone else in person who would like to make a comment A reminder to any callers to please press star three to be added to the queue. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Yes, Madam Secretary, we have three callers on the line.
0: Caller, please state your name. Your two minutes begin when you speak.
4: Yes, my name is Kevin McPherson. That's M-C-P like Paul, A-T-R-S-O-N. I was a police officer in the city of San Francisco. In February of 2020, I was crushed in between two vehicles by a mentally unstable person. And in April of 2021, I applied for an industrial disability retirement. It is now month 34. And just yesterday, I got a email regarding my uh, declaration of readiness. I know people that retired two years after me have already gotten their declaration of readiness Two three weeks ago so i don't know what goes on with the system here but the the second worst system for for, uh for appeals for or for hearings for applicants for idr or disability retirement is 16 months that's that's the county of los angeles 16 months san francisco is over twice as long as the second worst place and four or five times longer than the than the average in the state of california for retirement systems the board's a job is to make sure that the the system runs efficiently and, and they should have an audit of the system to see why it takes San Francisco twice as long as the second worst place and four to five times longer than the average in the state of California. It, 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 that's your job as the board to find out why this is happening. This is this is ridiculous that people wait three years to to get a hearing date for their. For their retirement stuff, I I don't understand that this is the worst system in the state of California and you guys need to have an audit done. I asked for an audit from the controllers office. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I myself asked for an audit because I think this is horrible. You guys are responsible. to take care of the people that you serve not to determine whether what you.
0: Thank you for your call. We have uh, one in-person public comment. Go ahead.
5: Good morning. My name is Alyssa Giacchino. I'm with the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. We're a nonprofit watchdog organization that seeks to address the impacts of private equity on workers, communities, and the planet. I'm here today because the San Francisco Employee Retirement System is an investor in Blackstone Real Estate Partners 10, which is buying Tricon Residential, an operator of single-family rental homes, also known as SFRs. Blackstone, which is already the largest landlord in the US, announced last month it planned to get even bigger. This acquisition would make make Blackstone the third largest SFR owner in the US with 66,000 homes. This acquisition will worsen the housing affordability crisis and harm tenants. In light of Blackstone's poor track record as a landlord and its role in driving up housing prices, investors should tell Blackstone not to invest their money in this deal unless Blackstone agrees to a set of standards that would ensure basic protections for tenants and protect investors from potential headline and reputational risks arising from rent increases, evictions, and other predatory practices. Blackstone owns the SFR company Home Partners of America, HPA, the largest rent-to-own landlord in the US. There have been numerous news stories about problems at HPA. The Financial Times reported about complaints from residents of maintenance problems, unclear billing practices, and found that just one-fifth of HPA's tenants end up buying their homes, and that tenants were paying rents that were about 10% higher than market rents. Blackstone also has a poor track record as a multifamily landlord. Blackstone went on an aggressive buying spree in 2021 and 22, expanding its residential real estate empire, adding over 200,000 housing units to its portfolio, including 5,800 units in San Diego. Many of these units were considered naturally occurring affordable housing. Since then, Blackstone has increased the average rent on these properties by 34%. This is much higher than the average rent increase for all apartments in the San Diego market, which was just 20% during the same period. The increase at some buildings has been even greater, up to 76%. We urge you to tell Blackstone not to invest your money in this deal unless Blackstone agrees to a set of standards to protect tenants and investors. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comments. We have another public comment. Go ahead.
6: Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year's. We were here last year. Um, My name is Fernando Perez, and I have worked on the A-Love and Fairfield Hotels in El Segundo, California for the last three years and the Housekeeping Department. I'm a proud member of the Hospitality Workers Union, tonight here, Local 11 I'm here today to urge you to tell your investment manager, Blackstone, to resolve a labor dispute that affects workers across Southern California and Arizona. As many of you know already, since July 4th weekend last year, over 50 hotels have gone on strike. Dozen more have participated in peak lines, protest outside their workplaces. We are fighting for our futures, for our living wages, affordable health, insurance, and a pension to retire with dignity. My co-workers and I do uh, back-breaking work every day. And I struggle a little because I have a mortgage in two sons that depends on me. Um, Thanks God. Fernando Rey graduated from UCLA, so now I don't have to help him anymore. I'm trying to build a better life for them so they don't have to struggle as I did. I live uh, literally uh, from paycheck to paycheck and worry about how I'm going to pay my bills at the end of each month. This is why we are here and um, fighting for our futures and showing my sons that I know what my my work is worth. And I... I, uh, and how to fight for what we deserve. Strikes, boycotts, and labor disputes are not good for business. That is why we are coming to yeah. you. You are responsible for ensuring that there your investments are wise and healthy ones for your beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. Twenty five hotels have now settled fair contracts, but Blackstone has not. They cannot say they they cannot say we are asking for too much because hotels with far less money have agreed to pay living wages. We are asking you to tell Blackstone to resolve the labor disputes and settle a labor dispute. And until they do, we're going to keep going and having strikes here and there. Thank you so much for your time. for your time.
0: Thank you for your comments. Do we have any more in person? One more? Thank you.
7: Good morning, my name is Crystal Padilla. I work as a cook at the Sheridan in Phoenix downtown, owned by Blackstone. I'm a proud member of Unite Here Local 11. I was here back in December to speak before your board. To recap, I live in an apartment that is not very well maintained or safe, and I wish I could move somewhere better, but most landlords require the income to be three times the rent. I don't make anywhere near that much, so I'm forced to stay where I am. Despite working full time, I don't make enough to afford healthcare at the Sheridan, and I make too much to get access, AZs, Medicaid, and I haven't seen a primary doctor in over 10 years. It's like I'm trapped in a loop. I make too little to afford basic necessities, but I make too much to be considered poor enough for assistance. Again, I'm asking, do any of you guys know what that feels like? And I'm asking you to try to imagine. My coworkers and I hold regular picket lines outside the Sheridan. In October, we went on strike, and we will again, if that's what it takes, to win a contract that we deserve. Uh, The Sheridan-Phoenix now faces five federal unfair labor practice charges alleging violations of the National Labor Relations Act, including disciplining and terminating workers in part due to their union activity and engaging in unlawful surveillance of workers, protected... uh, um, protected... uh, union activity. Uh, I've testified to pension funds in Arizona, New Mexico, and California, regarding the problems at the Sheridan. Many of these funds have told us they are engaging with Blackstone to resolve the labor dispute because they understand it presents a potential risk to their investment. We have, become, we have come before SFers many times over the past five months, and we are asking a simple question. Have you reached out to Blackstone and Fortress? If not, is it because you disagree that strikes are bad for your investments? If so, what response have you received? And what will the firms do to fix these problems? Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for your comments. Do we have any more in person? Thank you. A reminder, any callers to please press star 3 to be added to the queue. Moderator, do we have any further callers?
3: Madam Secretary, we have one more caller on the line.
0: Thank you. Caller, please state your name. Here, two minutes
8: begin when you speak. Good morning, Uh, this is Ty Hudson. I'm the research director with Unite Here Local 2. Um, And we've been speaking with you for the last several months about the labor disputes at hotels in Southern California and Arizona involving our sister local, Unite Here Local 11. The good news is that 35 hotels have now reached tentative settlements with Local 11 that will provide living wages, affordable benefits, and adequate, ad, adequate staffing to workers. Unfortunately, Blackstone has remained unwilling to agree to the same standard as these hotels and faces an ongoing labor dispute, picket lines, and potential strikes at the Aloft and Fairfield Hotels at LAX and the Sheraton Phoenix. Blackstone is now truly an outlier, exposing investors like Spurs to potential risks. WE URGE SPURS TO DEMAND BLACKSTONE RESOLVE FAIR CONTRACTS FOR its HOTEL WORKERS. SFRS IS ALSO INVESTED IN A FUND MANAGED BY FORTRESS INVESTMENT GROUP, WHICH OWNS THE HILTON PHOENIX RESORT AT THE PEAK. HILTON WORKERS REPRESENTED BY UNITE HERE LOCAL 11 HAVE PICKETED THE HOTEL NUMEROUS TIMES, PROTESTING LOW WAGES THAT HAVE NOT INCREASED ENOUGH TO COVER THE RISING COST OF LIVING. These actions have received media attention and create potential headline and reputational risk for Spurs. Now, the Hilton Phoenix Resort is for sale. Fortress must resolve the labor dispute prior to selling the property, as the escalating labor dispute represents a represent the potential risk to Fortress's sale price and return to investors. Cutting and running is never a sound ESG policy. As we have asked at prior meetings, we believe that hotel workers, SPURS board members, and beneficiaries deserve to know whether SPURS has engaged with Blackstone and Fortress to mitigate potential ESG risks, and what further steps should be taken with respect to these managers.
0: Thank you for your comments. Moderator, do we have any further callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, we have another caller on the line.
0: Thank you, caller. Please state your name. Your two minutes begin when you speak.
9: Hi, my name is Alex Sanchez. I'm an employee of the City and County of San Francisco. Last year, uh, the retirement system allows for allowed for military uh, prior military service credit if you purchase um, the credit through the retirement system. Uh, But the retirement calculator online does not allow or will not take into account the purchase of prior public service. So therefore, uh, if I pay uh, the amount that I'm told I I would owe, I cannot get uh, a, a number Uh, for what the compensation would be for having purchased the public service. I plan on going the vesting uh, service route, and I don't, I can't get a number, uh, a figure of what the compensation will be for purchasing my public service. Is there some way that um, that that can be addressed? Uh, I'm I'm purchasing um, six years of military service, and it's costing a considerable amount of money, but there's no indication of what the compensation will be. And um, I can't seem to get any answers. I've gone through my union, Local 6, and they're working on that.
0: 30 seconds remaining.
9: So uh, I'm looking for answers, please. Thank
0: you. Thank you for your call. Moderator, do we have any further callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no more callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no further calls, public comment is now closed. Item number four, action item, approval of the minutes of the January 10, 2024 Retirement Board meeting.
1: So, Mr. President, I move the minutes from Jerry. Second. Thank you. It's been moved or seconded. Is there public comment? Do we have any
0: in-person public comment on this item? See none. Callers, a reminder to press star 3 to be added to the queue. Moderator, are there any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed. Okay, it's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, say aye. Aye. Aye.
1: Those opposed, say nay. If not, motion passes. Thank you. Next item, please.
0: Item number five, action item, consent calendar.
1: Does
10: any commissioner want? Yes. Move to adopt the consent calendar.
1: Second. Okay,
0: public comment, please. Are there any in-person public comment on this item? See none. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, we have one caller on the line.
0: Thank you. Caller, please state your name. Your two minutes begin when you speak. My name is Steve.
4: My name is Kevin McPherson. I'm calling item number five. I see on item number five that applicant B was able to get their whole case adjudicated for their their industrial disability retirement in five months. So clearly it's possible, yet still I'm sitting at the three-year mark almost to get mine done. So this is ridiculous. Instead of demanding that Blackstone do whatever they need to do, you should demand that your employees get these cases expedited, don't have people waiting three or four years to get their cases adjudicated for these IDR. Because if, if this guy who got his done in five months gets 55% as a minimum, minimum retirement, on an IDR without a service retirement. He waited five months for that. I waited one month to get 52%. I would have much gladly worked, waited five months to get 55% and no tax and, to, and no taxes on it than to wait one month and get 52%. So this is completely unfair to people that wait on this list and wait on this list, wait on this list, and everybody seems to be going except for the people that are sitting on the list, including myself, thank you.
0: Thank you for your comments. Moderator, do we have any further callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no other callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Madam Secretary, you want to call the next item?
0: Item number six, discussion item, investment committee
11: report. <clears throat> Wait, one hmm?
12: did, did we have a vote on the? On the- Consent calendar. Yeah, okay.
1: We, okay. Did we vote? Did we vote? No, we didn't. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Thank right. You. Okay. Oh, my fault. Okay. It's so been moved and seconded, and now we're revisiting it. Um, all those in favor, say aye. 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 Those opposed. Motion passes. Now we can move to item six:
10: investment <clears throat> calendar yep yeah. uh, thank you mr president the uh investment committee was able to meet uh thanks to all the members who uh, uh came and attended a rather dense presentation by staff in wilshire um it was a very informative time we learned quite a bit um on and uh, in, in, in discussing the uh assumptions regarding uh capital markets and risk factors and other liquidity items um it's, we know it's always a challenge with quorum and attendance uh, and then, of course, the time allotment for such a, uh, uh, a dense meeting. So I really want to extend gratitude to all the members uh, for coming in and attending that and uh, gratitude to staff and Wilshire for the presentation uh, at the Investment Committee meeting.
1: Great. Thank you. Okay. I'm still not organized from what I've done. Public comment.
0: Uh, do we have any in person public comment on this item? Seeing none, moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Next item, please, Madam Secretary.
0: Item number seven, discussion item proxy voting report. <clears throat>
13: Good morning, Commissioners. Um, As you recall from our update in December, our ESG update in December, there are three pillars to our ESG platform. And if you think about them visually from right to left in the way that Andrew presented them in December, we have collaboration and communication where we work with, together with other asset owners and working groups like ILPA and the PRI. ESG investment management, where we integrate the consideration of ESG matters, into the evaluation of the managers, both in terms of their strategies as well as how they manage their firms. And then finally, active ownership, where we seek to influence outcomes that can uh, improve the long-term financial performance of SpRS public markets uh, portfolio, particularly public equities. Within active ownership, there are three tools. There's active engagement, where we work, engage directly with companies, comment letters, which are largely focused on regulatory and policy matters, and then proxy voting. Proxy voting, of course, is our right and our opportunity as a shareholder to vote on a variety of issues, including the election of directors, executive compensation, mergers, uh, reorganizations, et cetera, and various ESG proposals that are uh, made by shareholders. So today, as we do each year, we have two proxy items for the board, the first of which is a report and a review on proxies voted during the prior calendar year, and then an action item, which is a recommendation, uh, recommendation of certain changes just for proxy voting guidelines. So with that, I'll hand it over to Andrew.
14: Thank you, Kurt. Uh, good morning, Commissioners. Um, so as, as Kurt said, each year we we present a report uh, on general observations from the shareholder votes that occurred during the prior calendar year um, or the prior, prior proxy season, as it's referred to, um, as well as detailing um, how SFERS voted um, during that period as well um, within our public equity portfolios where we retain voting rights um, on the underlying securities. Um, the report um, is, is there for your information. I'll, I'll just highlight a, a, few, a few key aspects. Um, so in 2023, we voted on around 14,000 proposals uh, across our portfolio. Um, this was approximately the same number we voted on uh, in 2022. Uh, a little more than half of these were in the US and Canada. Uh, the rest of those were split between Europe um, China and the rest of Asia. And then there was a small amount in in other markets as well. Um, I think, you know, in general, the the 2023 proxy season was similar to to prior years. Uh, Shareholders really focused on board accountability um, for lack of uh, board diversity um, and lack of director independence. Um, The support uh, for executive compensation, which is something that shareholders have been able to vote on since the passage of of Dodd-Frank, was similar to prior years, Um, but uh, the the number of failed say on pay votes, which is what what those uh, voting items are called, um, was down from the prior year um, by about 50%. Probably the most notable trend during 2023 was some decline in support for shareholder proposals on environmental and social topics from uh, major shareholders. Um, and then also the rise in what uh, people call anti-ESG proposals. Um, So these are proposals filed by groups that seek to stop um, or file in protest of corporate ESG activities. Um, Those typically receive very low single-digit support from other shareholders. Um, We continue to apply our our same voting process and guidelines, very much materiality-based in terms of approach we take to considering each proposal. Um, we will vote against executive compensation proposals where we feel like there's misalignment between the performance of companies and uh, the, the pay that's being awarded to, to executives. Um, and we continue to vote against boards where we feel like, in aggregate, there's um, a lack of uh, board diversity or other governance concerns. Um, last year, we supported about half of the shareholder proposals um, that, that were filed. I um, mean, we continue to believe that this is a strong uh, mechanism for shareholders to raise material topics to companies. Uh, I'll I'll stop there. The report uh, contains more you know market observations as well as more quantitative details on our voting uh, record. Uh, happy to answer any questions on those if people have.
15: Them. I have, Go ahead. I'll ask mine later.
1: Uh, I'll wait.
12: Thank you, uh,
15: Andrew, for the report.
12: Um, do you have a sense, and I was trying to do some research on the decline in the, on the environmental side, which is very interesting considering uh, COP and all the conferences and 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 kind of the direction of, of the global direction. So I'm, I'm just surprised in, the, in what's going, coming out.
14: Yeah, we, you know, we included a, a few sort of market observations, hmm? of, you know, we don't quite know, always know. Um, I think you know, observers generally cite, um, one is that a lot of proposals um, end up getting withdrawn from companies um, where they can actually seek resolution with with the company before the company before directly. it goes to vote. Um, so these topics are still being raised, but um, they're resolved before they, they go to vote. Um, the I think anti ESG backlash um, perhaps you know has caused you know some decline in support, mm-hmm. um, and then I think there's a, a view of some shareholders that some of the content of the proposals being filed um, is overly prescriptive for companies um, or seeking to to micromanage the board or the management team of companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So has found it harder to support those proposals than perhaps they have in in prior years. Um, Major shareholders, some of them explain their rationale Mm -hmm. (laughs) for for their votes. Others don't. So. Right. it's there's not a no when i read through this i thought it was
12: very interesting that's it's it's kind of a trend that we didn't anticipate
1: exactly can i jump in on uh, on that subject uh you know actions speak louder than words yeah shareholders don't talk about what they're doing Mm -hmm. but but their actions are starting to be picked up by the press pitch book things like that and there is an identifiable movement to either ratchet back or rework or whatever the concept. Not all the pillars, ESG, but some of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering. I mean, just in a very yes or no. Is do you see that, or I'm I'm just a, you know, I'm not a, a knee deep in it
14: within corporate. ESG practices Yeah, well,
1: yes. I mean, the, the impetus by shareholders or disparate groups that are involved that can affect um, the shareholder uh, direction that the company's going, those groups are, and as well as the internal operational people seeing what ESG has done to their operations in terms of how the width and breadth of whatever they're doing. So, I'm just I'm just really don't want to mm-hmm. go into the weeds. I'm just wondering because I'm sort of away from it, is it, and but involved in looking at it. Is it is it as big as not as big, but as move it's moving in the direction I think it is.
14: I mean, I think in general we've still seen a uh, strong support for corporate social responsibility activities, a focus on um, so-called ESG matters. Um, I think we've observed some companies calling them those efforts, sustainability efforts, or using a different terminology um, than than the ESG terminology, given it's become somewhat politicized. Um, but I would say, in in general, we have not seen a pullback um, in terms of shareholder support um, for these general concepts. Um, But the mechanism, I guess, to Commissioner Bridges' point, um, of shareholder proposals, last year there was a change, yeah, a noticeable change in support. Um, That said, as I mentioned, the the anti-ESG proposals um, that sort of called into question the value or or ask companies to justify resources put towards um, climate or diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts um, received very, very low support. Um, So yes, single digit shareholder support. So I think that speaks to the fact that shareholders are not um, in mass recommending companies uh, stop those types of activities or focus of of their their strategy, if that's helpful.
15: Yeah, uh, first of all, some of the companies we're voting on, is it because we own the shares via the index funds? Yeah, yeah the, okay. Okay. the, the shares, yeah. So sometimes it occurs that way. Okay, the next question on the governance category, uh, you have two groups uh, where the person was, did not get enough votes, A director did, get, did not get enough votes, but they're still on the board. They had the, the right to do that, meaning the management has the right to do that. Okay, have you... Done any further engagement in terms of asking other investors or write them a letter, please don't do that or you just we just let it go um, It's certainly noted and could affect future support for
14: directors at a at a company like that, um, but we have not done
15: okay f- if it's in the index like, funds I'm not f- that f- concerned f- about f- it. Okay. The more important group is where there's no lead independent director. Uh, I'm not sure what the count is on how many those are. The question though goes. Have you ever then tried to do an additional engagement on those issues more importantly is maybe the company operates real well without the independent director sometimes a signal it's going to be a problem. I'm just wondering if you do this all the work and statistics I'm just wondering has any of this triggered you to engage more than just exercising the votes? We typically have not engaged on a single topic like
14: that um, but certainly if we are in a dialogue with a company that for example, lacks a lead independent director, um, it may be something we talked to the company about. Um, and you know, so I think as you're alluding to it, it can be a case-by-case basis where there may be a strong justification to not have a lead independent director, although our view is, in general, it is best corporate governance practice um, to have that structure influenced.
15: Okay, well then, the suggestion would be, and again, it always sounds like I'm trying to make more work for you, but I'm not, um, that if you notice, if you had time to even discover working with Kurt's team, that a company where the lead director does, we wanted or voted for and they don't have it, but we notice their performance seems to be down. Not that you connect the poor performance to the absence of a lead director, but maybe that's where we call our manager, hey, what, maybe this is something we don't want to be part of. I'm trying to get an issue, an action, let alone all the other data you have to track. Sure. Noted. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
10: Uh, I had a question about some of these shareholder proposals. Just in reading it, it definitely seems like there's a lot more of them that went to vote, um, but far less support. Is is there a structural explanation in that how they were for this, or is it sort of ebb and flow, cyclical every few years or something like that, or was there maybe a change that just allows smaller groups to bring less popular proposals to vote?
14: In terms of the number that were filed or the number that – went to vote or
10: it seems vote. like you said that from your report that there are more that went to a vote over the last year but they had very little support. fewer support so yeah. is there some structural change that allowed these sort of unpopular proposals to get to a vote more frequently last year or is it a cyclical thing or is yeah there some other factor? so
14: um certainly the sec's um, posture can affect the number of shareholder proposals that go to vote Um, companies are able to petition to the SEC for it's called a no action request to basically um, ask them to be excluded from a ballot. Um, The current SEC is more favorable to shareholders, um, so is less likely to um, accept a a no no action request from from companies. Um, So that probably resulted in an increase in those that went to vote. Um, And then these anti- ESG proposals. Um, there were more of those too, um, which would be captured within all of the shareholder proposals. Um, those get, as I said before, very low average support. Um, so that's in incl- that will affect the overall or average support for shareholder proposals as well. So I think there's a couple, yeah, a couple things going on there.
10: Thank you.
1: Any other questions, comments? Okay, Andrew. Have you, that's, that's all we have. So, this
13: was a discussion there. item.
14: This was a, yeah, discussion right. item um, right. on the the report. We have a, a second item after this for the.
1: No, I know, I, I realize that, but this item, the proxy voting, you made your presentation. Okay, great. Thank you. Can we call for public comment?
0: Thank you. Do we have any in person uh, public comment on this item? See none, a reminder to any callers to press star 3 to be added to the queue. Moderator, are there any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Next item, please.
0: Item number 8, action item, review and approval of proxy voting policies.
14: Um. So on an annual basis, um, we, we bring to the board uh, a request to, to reaffirm our corporate governance voting guidelines, those that we use to, to cast the votes that we were just discussing, um, and we recommend and, and bring changes, uh, any recommended changes to the board um, for your review and approval. Through um, this year, we are proposing uh, seven updates to the voting guidelines, all of which I would characterize as relatively minor in nature. Um, six of them, those, these recommended changes relate to director elections, how we, we vote on boards of directors. Three of those are uh, sort of expansions of existing guidelines that we have um, just to a larger universe or set of companies in our portfolio. Um, the three new updates relate to expectations around the board's responsiveness to shareholders, uh, the board's management of cybersecurity issues. Um, and the accountability um, of audit committees or for audit committees. Um, The seventh update relates to shareholder rights during uh, takeover attempts. Um, So we've provided the board a memo that summarizes what the changes are. It includes a rationale uh, for those changes as well. Um, So you can see see what that is in the the board memo. And then there are two versions of the voting guidelines one is a red line version that shows all of the changes um, as well as any typographical updates. And then there's a clean version um, that would be the, the version that we would adopt and implement um, following the, the board's vote. I'm so happy to answer any questions on process or any of those changes if you all
1: right. I have them. Great, I, I do have a question and it relates directly to um, the cyber a oversight of cybersecurity. Obviously a major topic, major topic with us. And um, how the wording in this in these procedures that you're you've presented, where's it, where did they come from? Did you guys do it individually or did you consultants or, or whatever? Or is it something you found that you just used?
14: Yes. So um, several of these, we have worked with Glass-Lewis, um, who's our uh, proxy voting research provider um, for uh, guidance and, and language in terms of how we can implement these voting <coughs> guidelines. So this um, was something that they recommended, um, and we tailored yeah, voting guidelines that were appropriate for our beliefs and able to implement in our, our voting
1: guidelines. Good. Ken, is it... And maybe we're doing it. I'll, I'll plead ignorance. Um, when we're doing our due diligence on an investment, in a co-investment situation, is the cybersecurity subject part of it somewhere in 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 whatever due diligence you do, or will you have a consultant do?
14: We can certainly get, get back to you on that. I think it's a little beyond the scope of. Yeah, this specific question yeah. um but happy to follow up in terms of how our operational due diligence uh, yes yeah, specifically addresses it is um, a
1: little beyond but it's yeah. you know it's so tangential to what can happen yeah. in the corporate allison do you want to sorry go
12: ahead and, and to very broadly answer your question um, as we've talked to the commissioners before when we make any investment we do both uh um, investment diligence and operational due diligence and we work with outside consultants typically for that operational due diligence piece. A big component of that is a review of the, the fund or uh, uh, capabilities in the cybersecurity right. area.
1: Great, thank you. Any further, any questions, comments? If not, thank you. This is an act, it, wait. It, uh, discussion only. So let's um
14: <laughs> the, this yeah this is an action item <laughs> it is. to adopt um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah adopted guidelines
1: so we will have a, anybody um wish to make a motion yes yeah, uh, I uh we adopt the recommendations of staff on
2: public approval of the
5: practical
10: second process.
1: okay public comment
0: do we have any in-person public comment on this item? See none. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, we have no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Here, no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: All right. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Those opposed, motion carries. Next item, please. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, guys.
0: Item number nine, discussion item, chief investment officer's report.
12: Commissioners, the plan assets currently stand at approximately 34.5 billion. Our three-year performance year to date uh, through January is estimated at 6.1%. I wasn't planning on going in a, through a detailed analysis of performance. We did that a little bit last month. I will cover the uh, um, investments that we have uh, closed for the record. So as you'll see in your materials, um, under our delegated authority, we've invested 25 million in Taurus Feeder two um, by the San Francisco Absolute Return Investors Safari II Fund. The investment closed on January 1st, 2024. It's an additional investment to an existing fund classified as quantitative within our absolute return portfolio. Next, under our delegated authority, SPIRS has invested $60 million in SDC Digital Infrastructure Opportunity Fund 4, (laughs) which closed on January 11, 2024. This is an infrastructure investment within the real assets portfolio, and it's for second investment with SDC Capital Partners. Next, Milestone Real Estate Investors uh, six under the delegated authority we've invested 70 million in milestone real estate investor six which closed on january 16, 2024 this is classified as a real estate investment within the real assets portfolio and it's in it is the second investment with the milestone group institutional venture partners uh, at the board meeting on january 19th 2023 the retirement board approved in closed session an investment of up to 75 million to institutional Venture venture partners 18 um, and we committed 50 million on february 3rd and this was disclosed in the board meeting on february 16 2023 in january 31st 2024 we closed an additional 15 million bringing the total commitment up to 65 million uh, and then finally um late breaking news it didn't make it into your board packet but uh we have one more uh closed transaction Under our delegated authority, we've invested $75 million in Artemis Real Estate Partners Credit Opportunities Fund, which closed on February 12th, 2024. The investment is classified as a real estate investment within our real assets portfolio, and it's our second investment with Artemis Real Estate Partners. That concludes my formal remarks for uh, this agenda item, but uh, certainly happy to answer any questions.
1: Where is Artemis located? Do we not
16: hear no. that?
1: Washington, D.C. Okay, thank great. You. Thank you. Okay, thank you for the report. Next item, please.
0: Uh, public comment. Do no, we have right. Any public
1: comments. I'm sorry.
0: Do we have any in person public comment on this item? Seeing none, my reminder to any callers to press star three to be added to the queue. Moderator, are there any callers?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Here, are no calls. Public comment is now closed.
1: Next item, please.
0: Item number ten, discussion item, Operations Oversight Committee report.
11: Um, the Operations Oversight Committee met on January 31st this year. At that meeting, uh, at that meeting, the MGO, the external auditor, presented. 2023 audited financial statements, MGO highlighted their opinion on that the financial statements present fairly and all materials respect the fiduciary net position in accordance with the accounting principles. The auditor's report was reviewed by the Operations Oversight Committee as outlined in committee's terms of reference. The committee also reviewed the proposed financial year 2024-25 and 2526 budget after engaging in a discussion um, and reviewing it carefully the committee approved that the budget be forwarded to the full board for approval thank you
1: thank you commissioners any questions or comments of the operating committee
15: if not do we need a motion to accept the report yes no, it's a
1: discussion item. Okay. We're on item 10 or 11? 10. 10. 10. Oh. <coughs> public comment, please.
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? See none, callers, please press star to be added to the queue. Moderator, are there any callers?
1: Madam
3: Secretary, there are no callers on line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Thank you. Next item, please.
0: Item number 11 is an action item. Approval of the budget for fiscal year 2024-25 and fiscal year 25-26.
12: Commissioner, uh, time flies. I don't know how we're here again, but it is that time of the year that, that we are seeking your approval for our proposed budget. Um, as Commissioner Gandhi mentioned, we had a, a very good um, discussion with the Operating Oversight Committee on the budget. Um, typically, we do like to get a lot of the work done in committees, but I think it does—it um, it is important for me to share some of the same comments that I shared with the Operations Oversight Committee with regards to the budget. Um, to start with, I really do want to acknowledge the hard work of the team here at Spurs in putting together the budget in particular. Uh, Karen Bortnick, who um, has worked tirelessly um, to, to um, get this to where it is and, and in front of you. The heads of each of our uh, units have worked hard t- um, on the budget, a special thanks to Christine Lee, an accounting, who leads the charge, and Krishan Tatuha, our director of IT, who played an instrumental role in, in what we're going to talk about with respect to, to IT. Um, IT. It is a big process, um, but know that in soliciting the input and feedback from many uh folks here at, at SFERS, what we put before you is in complete alignment with the strategic plan um, that we developed and uh, gained your approval on uh, June of last year. So additionally, to provide some context for the budget, um, this is the second budget that I will be presenting to you. Um, since that time, we put the strategic plan in place. Uh, We brought on board uh, Krishan Tatuha Uh to evaluate, to to lead our IT program, and in doing so, really uh, he rolled up his sleeves and evaluated our capabilities and our needs and, and talked about where we want to go in the, in the future. And likewise, Karen and I have had another year uh, in our roles to evaluate the business, and, and we've um, made some changes on the retirement services side and have great leadership there evaluating our needs. So this really reflects that two-year evaluation uh, of the business and, importantly, where we want to take the business going forward to successfully manage the the billion in assets and deliver on behalf of our members. What I will focus on uh, here for for my comments are um, the couple areas where we have uh, asks. Um, We've tried to be conservative um, in in, uh, all of our expenses um, and there are a couple areas where we think we do have business needs. The first is on the retirement services side. We talked about this extensively last year about needing additional headcount, and you uh, approved a two year plan to add a headcount to the retirement services team. I can tell you definitively that the additions that we made in this budget year have made a, a, a tremendous difference, uh, not only in our ability to get the day to day job done but to um, build the morale of the team and align capabilities with our needs. And we want to continue on that path and reaffirm and get your reaffirmation and approval of the the additional headcount and retirement services. The next area to highlight is uh, investment technology. We want to position this organization for the long term. Um, And evolving a technology platform is a many, many year process. Um, But there are some things that we need to do today to set us on a path for those improvements, and there are some things that we need to do today to mitigate risk that are are critical um, so that we can lay this foundation. These goals are in the areas of resiliency, so, um, uh, and and documentation. Documentation meaning to be able to leverage the technology that is out there, we need to, to document our workflows and our processes and the data that we have so that we then can use improved systems. But that is an important first step uh, and it, it's a step if you talk to any company uh, going through this evolution that that they, they would need to take. We need to upgrade applications, uh, particularly on our pension administration system. It's important that uh, we don't get so, so far behind that we have a, a platform that isn't supported appropriately. And we need to consider web development. We, we uh, live in a day and age where there can be a lot done through uh, a web interface, uh, both our uh, member portal and online, and having uh, in-house capabilities to address those needs and move to more opportunities for member self-service is, is important. We, we need those capabilities, and that is an area of focus for us. So taking all of those together, that does lead to a budget ask, um, and I've outlined it here in detail in the materials. We're um, asking for support to be able to transition um, some of our platforms to the cloud, to upgrade our applications, and we're asking for an additional headcount of uh, four FTEs. That would be a project manager, a business analyst, a web developer, and tester. And I can tell you, again, for a fund managing $36 billion and for serving as many members as we do, these are... um, Standard for for our type of business, they will not only help us deliver, but they will help us mitigate risk, which is something that um, I think is important in this day and age of uh, issues like cybersecurity and business continuity. Before I move on to the lease, I'm happy to pause and see if there are any questions specific to uh, IT.
1: No, but uh, uh, not a question. I'd like to make a comment, and I'll. I'll... Make this comment in the vein of I'm, uh, the president of the board is keep speaking to all the members as well as the our our staff. We are charged with the uh, to our CEO's comment about um, the thirty six well let's say thirty four and a half billion dollars today. Um, that is a big number. And um, in my business career, I see a lot of companies that are t- approaching the c- issue of cyber cybersecurity, uh, technology, maximizing efficiency through the new technologies that are available. I could go on for pages, but it's not for just owning and having a fancy all the bells and whistles. It's to protect our rear ends. We have a fiduciary responsibility to have this uh, lock safe in terms of how we're comporting our business and how we're protecting the assets of the company as well as the employees and the like this stretched not only over information technology it, and, and i'm going to jump a little head ahead on the lease issue and um, the ne- necessary ftes to accomplish the plans that our staff is putting together and diligently putting it together they've been challenged during this budget period specifically because two major a number of major items haven't been firmed ie the, we don't have a lease so it's really hard we know what we're we know within reasonable certainty what it is but we don't have it so you've got to put a little fudge factor in there just to make sure that you don't go over. But the fudge factor can't be rich. It can't go off the boards. It's got to stick to the plan that we wanted to go to and, and deliver. So I won't say any more, but I will say one thing. I've, we've watched the current leadership structure of SFERS for a year and what a half, right? I, got, I had a good feeling a year, a year ago. I have a great feeling right now that we have the right people in, stat, on, in the chair making the decisions that have to be made in the context of everything in the budget, as well as in operations, as well as the fiduciary responsibility. And I can only say, I am sure I'm speaking for the board, that I thank you for your efforts and thank all of the staff and everybody associated with Spurs. And the last thing is, I'll tell you, Fred, you can take this to the members. This place is going to be rock solid in terms of all the the things that the CEO has just been talking about. Improvements of of our site, where we are, easier to get to better, and, and also the cyber, which is the number one thing. That's all. Thank you. Any other comments?
10: Yeah. Oh, go, ahead, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Um Thank you. Uh, similar to, to what President Helfand said, um, just seeing the budget process and staffing process over the last couple of years has been... Uh, uh, enlightening for me Um, I really appreciate that staff is focused you know we saw it last year with an emphasis on plugging gaps and areas where we really needed to staff up to meet uh, the requirements of the organization and now we're seeing an eye even towards the future of where we think we're going to need uh, staff in place to prepare for the um, the IT needs going forward Um, so I do appreciate the thoughtfulness and it also reminds me again of our strategic plan that we, we were called to do this so um, I'm, I'm happy to see that we're going by the plan that was put in place. Um, I know that in, last year when we were looking to staff up various aspects of the organization, we, we definitely invested heavily in line staff, to uh, especially um, public-facing staff um regarding the new uh, talent that we're looking to bring on can you tell me are are they all line staff is there management included what what what's the percentages there it is line staff so it's again line staff Correct. it's good it's good to hear um, that we're we're investing um, especially in those day-to-day needs that we need and then um i know there's a a, a lot of research that goes into using resources to uh, make sure we um, improve the technology uh, for the organization as was talked about earlier can my understanding is that we're doing all of our due diligence to ensure that we are using in-house city resources where available to um, to handle those IT tests and only really going to contracting out when absolutely necessary if we don't have those resources in-house. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Thank you.
15: Yes. Jim. Uh, since we're talking about uh, your location. Um, I guess the first question is this, since on our uh, proxy voting guidelines, one of the items I think was the fifth one about cybersecurity, I'm just wondering, is the plan for upgrading not just our personnel but also cybersecurity, will we be able to meet the standard that we're perceiving that we vote on?
12: I guess I could follow up in more detail, but but um, I take cybersecurity very, very seriously. And so we need to think about cybersecurity as we invest in managers. We need to think about uh, the cybersecurity of our vendors, and we need to think about the c- cybersecurity of our infrastructure and platform. And so there are a lot of things that are um We have a lot in place. Um, As anybody in cybersecurity would tell you, you need to continue to be vigilant, and it it is something that we are focused on.
15: So my point with the question is, then, if we're going to hold one of our investments to that standard, we have to meet it as well. That's a justification for a cost increase or a budget increase, we you call it. Okay. If that's what you've captured here, great. That's a way to support it. That's one. Two, there's several different ways of evaluating the cost. it's written up a lot of different ways, but are are, are are our costs going up or not? Well, on an absolute basis, they should go up if we're growing, but there's a question as a percentage of assets, as a uh, cost per head. Um, now, the thing is we have more consultants than we did, but now we're more sophisticated than we were 10, 20, 30 years ago. So there's reasons why costs will go up. What is the fair measurement? Because we can spend as much money. Well, it's not that we can spend as much money as we want, but there's tens of – tons of things to purchase. The question is, what's an effective way of measuring the value? Is our investment performance improving or not? Is our customer satisfaction improving or not? Which is, we do some surveying on that issue. But another issue has to do the employee turnover of the staff who work for us here. Keeping employee turnover is a down is a good sign of not just satisfaction, but it'll show up in cost as well as the issues of satisfaction, investment performance. So I'm throwing these metrics at it, so it's not just a budget thing. I like the numbers. I voted for it. That's a measurement issue. And I assume you're trying to accomplish that with all the arguments you made to why we're doing this. uh, The path for our long term, I think, is part of the words you used. It
12: better positions this organization both to deliver investment returns and to deliver on the member service side and reduce the likelihood that, that, that something happens that, that um, creates a longer-term
15: On a cost-effective challenge. basis?
12: Uh, absolutely on a cost-effective
15: Great. basis. Thank you. So
1: uh, let me just add something to that answer. Um, and, and this is, well, we will not, we are in a situation, basically, which I'll equate to the old days when I was on the health service system and then when we had Peoplesoft in San Francisco, 23 versions of Peoplesoft, and nobody bothered to look at it, see whether well they did, but whatever. It even got locked out by under um, Mayor Newsom. They locked he, he, the city got locked out by a tech. Yeah. Yes.
15: Right. We saved the day. So
1: the the goal here is is to take a system that's antiquated. We know needs to be beefed up, and money spent, with, to get best of breed, and then define all those w- in the process. Define everything you just said, so that there we're, there's accountability.
8: Right. Okay. Yeah.
15: The justification that goes along with the increased request. Thank you. Okay. And
1: the justification that—that's another thing. I want to remember remind everybody that the our P&L, our budget, is our money. Yes. Okay.
12: I can share a few comments with respect to the the lease and how that is impacting what we have before you on the budget. Um, So as uh, President Helfand mentioned, we are uh, in negotiation for a new space. Nothing is signed yet, um, so it is not official. Um, We anticipate that the price per square foot will be lower than what we are paying now, and so that on a (coughs) go-forward basis, we would expect the rent expense to come down from current levels. That said, given we don't have something inked yet, and we don't know precisely when the move will happen, what you see in the budget is an assumption about keeping the rent expense flat to, to the current year. The second item with respect to a move, as I'm sure any of you have moved, <laughs> uh, are aware of, is there, there are move costs. And um, again, we think that uh, some of these costs will be covered in how we are negotiating the lease and building it out to suit, but there will be costs like furniture and cubes and cabling and having movers come. Um, and those. Uh, in one year can, to be honest, look like a large number, but we have to think about it as setting us up again for the next 10, 12 years um, and, and, and positioning ourselves to spend this money now so that we are um, ha- have facilities that will last us uh, for, for, again, a long period of time. We currently have in our budget uh, dollars that may be available based on um, professional services and other areas which we have not used that we can apply towards these one-time expenses. We're working through the process to see if we can make that happen. The, the, these are dollars that we haven't spent that may have, we may have available. However, that is a process to see if, if we are allowed to be allocated uh, and use those dollars if not we will have to put a line item for these one-time costs so what I'm proposing uh, to the to the board if you are minimal uh, is to approve our uh, budget um, with the note that um, should we not be able to use the existing budget dollars that we can uh, have up to seven million dollars for these one-time expenses again I know that sounds like a large number We've done a lot of work based on the information that we have available today to try and cost out uh, things like furniture, moving expenses, et cetera. And, and we are presenting you a, a higher number. I, I want you to know we will be prudent, um, and, and, and we hope to come in below that. But for the purposes of efficiency, wanted to put that out there um, so that uh, um, we have the flexibility um, as we get more information, if that number is closer to 7 million rather than say closer to, to 6 or 5.
1: Totally in the, in the realm of trans, under the word transparency, mm-hmm. not just bearing a number that. It, it,
12: it is based on our analysis of, of each of these areas, based on, again, what we know today.
17: Right.
15: Question this new location is st- still technically a maybe. Do you see that we might be in that location for 10 years or more? Okay, yes, great. correct. Has that building been, is it either a new construction or the retrofitting is sometime in the last 10 to 15 years? Because, this is a question, going thinking forward, will the infrastructure of the building, meaning electricity and ventilation, will it be good enough for us 10 to 15 years from now?
12: It's, we're looking at a class A building so that has the features that you're talking about and we're looking at a build to suit so it'll be designed for our specifically for our needs what
15: are you thinking that far ahead great thank you
1: and if we wanted to control that we should have bought a building earlier <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not it could have been a bad story too All right.
12: Are there any other questions on the budget? I know there's a lot of information uh, in these pages. I've hit the highlights, but if there's any other line item that you want to talk about, I'm happy to address it.
1: Commissioners? Great. I, again, great work. Great work. I mean, and I, I it, it is a transparent document, so. We, well, so this is. Um, we need a motion.
15: We need to make a motion to accept the budget as staff has submitted in order to submit it to the mayor's office.
12: Um. It- if, if you may, to um, accept it as submitted, with the option to include uh, up to seven million dollars for one-time uh, yeah. expenses.
15: That is better language. I, say, I so moved. Second. Great uh, public comment, please.
0: We have one in-person public comment.
2: Yeah, Fred Sanchez, protect our benefits. Uh, one thing I hear all the time from retired members is cybersecurity. They don't know how they got hacked. If it, if it wasn't looking at their own Wells Fargo statements or something, is like, how did this get approved and stuff? So all I'm saying is from members, if there's an additional expenditure with regard to cybersecurity, taking that one-time hit or adding a line staff that It's specific towards cybersecurity uh, impact AI and things of that nature. I think we definitely understand that. So I thank you that you're really focusing on cybersecurity. It's the number one fear of retired people because they're all getting hacked. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comment. Do we have any further in-person comment on this item? Seeing none. Moderator, are there any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed. Thank you. It's been
1: moved and seconded. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Those opposed? Thank you. Next item, please.
0: Item number 12, action item, review and approval of basic COLA effective July 1, 2024. Do what
1: you, what you guys want? I before?
10: Did you want to get lunch
1: and come back? Uh, okay. Yeah, you want to go do it now? Yeah. We'll bring it. Oh, nice. Okay, we're going to break for, a, get to run out and get just next door to get a, our lunch and bring it here and be rude. Okay? Is that all right? <laughs> so let's do it in 15 minutes.
0: Board meeting, February 14th.
1: okay thank you um we'll resume now and um, again apologize to that we're eating while we're doing this (laughs) let's call the next item again item
0: item number 12 action item review and approval of the basic cola effective July 1
18: 2024 good afternoon commissioners the Bay Area Consumer Price Index increased 2.6% last calendar year, and so all retirees except old plan safety should receive the 2% maximum increase in their monthly pension beginning July 1, 2024. The 2.6% CPI increase gets rounded up to 3%, and the difference between that 3% and the 2% maximum will be added to the nominal COLA bank. You can see this addition on the Exhibit B of your materials. And we ask that the board approve this Charter Section 8.8, period 526-2, cost of living, increase of 2% payable, effective July 1, 2024, for all qualified SFRS retirees who retire prior to July 2, 2024.
15: Commissioners? I just have one technical question. Of course. Um, that 0.6 number does that go to the bank
18: so it it got rounded up to the 2.6 percent got rounded up according to the charter though that increase is rounded up to the next hole the next lower the next hole percentage so it's rounded up to three percent and then yes three percent minus two percent means one percent gets added to the nominal cola bank
15: so like 2.5 and above gets rounded up to below goes down. Okay, thank you. That's right. Thank you. Okay. Is,
1: this Is there a motion?
15: I move to accept the recommendation to pay the basic COLA.
0: Second.
1: Okay, public
0: comment, please. We have one in person public comment.
2: Cola Bank. How's that work?
1: Well,
0: thank you for your comment. A reminder to callers: the press star three to be (coughs) added to the queue. Moderator, are there any callers on the line? The answer is
15: yes. No callers?
0: Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
1: I read his and lips. Here, uh, no.
0: Steve, Fred. we need to get the. Uh, we we can't hear.
3: Madam Secretary.
0: Yes, we, we can no hear call. you now. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: There are no callers on the line. Sorry for the audio problems. No
0: thank you hearing no calls public comment is now closed
1: okay before I leave the item um, I, I or actually call for the vote we don't Fred we're not doing we don't answer public comment but I'm sure so that would answer. or we're Joel,
17: not gonna give him one we're not gonna give him one anyway
15: so that's all, all right,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> <for your> <laughs> You got a sense of humor it's taken me five years to find it oh. <laughs> okay all, uh, it's been moved and seconded all those in favor aye aye those opposed motion passes next item please
0: item number 13 action item determination and approval of credited interest rate for the fiscal year 2024-25
18: Commissioners the credited interest rate is the rate that our members earn on their own member contributions average five-year CD rates still remain below the 4% minimum interest rate specified in city charter please accept the credited interest rate of 4% for the upcoming plan and fiscal year July 1 2024 through June 30 2025
15: I move that we continue. Oh, okay. you turn your mic? I move that we continue to keep the credit interest rate at four percent. Second.
1: Public comment, please.
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? See none. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, we have no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls. Public comment is now <laughs> closed.
1: Okay, it's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Those opposed? Hearing none, next motion. I mean, next item, please.
0: Item number 14, action item, review and adoption of the July 1, 2023 actuarial funding valuation report and presentation of employer contribution rate stress test projections.
18: Commissioners, Bill Hallmark and Ann Harper of Chiron are here to present the results of the July 1, 2023 actuarial report and to answer any questions about these results.
19: Good afternoon. Thank you for having us. Uh, Can we just move ahead to uh, the second slide? One more. So uh, each year, we come and present the results of the actuarial valuation. It's as of July 1 of the prior year. We assess the uh, liabilities of the plan compared to the assets of the plan. But the primary result is the development of uh, employer contributions for the coming fiscal year. So um, just to hit the highlights here, your plan is well-funded. It remains well-funded. 95% 95% if we're looking at the market value of assets, 97% when we smooth investment returns over five years uh, for that smoothed actuarial value of assets. The contribution rates, we've been uh, coming down uh, for the last several years, and they're continuing to decrease. Uh, prior to cost sharing, the employer rates go from 182 this year to 169 for fiscal year in 2025. We'll show you later. They're very likely to go down one more year, um, but then we kind of expect them to, there's a, a little bit of uh, bouncing around, but they will level out at around 17% after uh, the smooth assets uh, work themselves out but as always there is a wide range of potential outcomes that's just the projection of the expected so can we move to the next slide so the chart on the left here uh, the bars show the liability broken into the different groups the blue bars are the members currently receiving benefits Gold is deferred vested. Those are members who n- no longer are employed under the plan but have a right to a future benefit. And then the active employees are the, the red bars. And the two lines are the market value of assets and the smooth actuarial value. You can see that the on a market value basis, the funded ratio declined from 98 to 95%, and on a smooth basis, it slightly increased. Uh, That means, similarly, the unfunded liability uh, increased on a market basis, uh, but declined slightly on the smooth basis. Uh, The other thing we do want to note is we do uh, keep track of the maturity of the system, and one measure of that maturity is how much of the liability is attributable to people who have left and are receiving benefits. For your system, it's 60%. The system I was presenting at this morning, they're over 70%. So you're uh, less mature, meaning you've uh, kept a stronger active base than that particular system. But all of the public systems in the West have been uh, increasing that ratio and getting more and more mature. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, Here we're showing the contribution rates on the left side before cost sharing and on the right side after cost sharing. Uh, The purple bars are the member rates, and then the dark gold is the employer normal cost. The normal cost is the cost of the benefits for the current year of service. And so if you combine the member and the employer normal cost, that's sort of the basic cost of the benefits being provided under the system and you can see if you look at the after cost sharing versus before cost sharing the tops of those bars are the same and the only change is a shift between how much the members are paying and how much the employers are paying then the employers pay the UAL piece that's the unfunded actuarial liability uh, and That cost is decreasing from 6.9% to 5.6%. Anne's gonna go through some of the causes of that reduction, but that's what's driving uh, the reduction in in costs. You can see that the normal costs have stayed uh, pretty level. With that, we'll go to the next slide, and I'll turn it to
20: Anne. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I'm going to review those sources of changes uh, from the prior valuation that Bill highlighted. Um, we're going to look at the change in the UAL by source and also the change in the employer contribution rate uh, before those cost sharing adjustments. So, um, you may ask the question how is a UAL created or why does it change? Um, there are there are several reasons for that. Um, when there's any deviation in the actual assumptions, it creates gains or losses on the expected assets or liabilities, so you're going to see those changes in UAL, you cannot get every assumption correct. In fact, we almost never get an assumption exactly correct, if they're just long-term and in aggregate, those assumptions to be reasonable. So, um, And the, another uh, source of change in the UAL are contribution levels. Uh, and in California, most systems are having contribution levels that are high enough to pay not only the interest that they're accruing on their unfunded liabilities, but also principal. Um, so, what we're seeing here from last year to this year as Bill had mentioned um, on an actual value basis, you see the UAL decreasing by about $100 million. In this uh, chart, is the, uh, the scale is in millions. You have offsetting factors there that um, again decrease the UAL by about $100 million. The first, uh, the red bar, is showing a decrease of about $270 million, and that's due to the contribution levels that are coming into your plan. So, contributions are used to pay for the active member benefits that are accruing each year. Then they pay for interest that's on the unfunded, and anything that's left over will go towards paying down that principal on your unfunded accrued liability. And I like to look at it as uh, a similar um, dynamic as credit card payments, right? Like if you have a credit card, an ongoing credit card balance, and every month you make purchases, that's your normal cost for your actives, and you have interest on your uh, your your outstanding balance on your credit card and then you also have your principal so your contributions are paying off those those purchases and also that interest so that you have a big chunk of your contributions going towards paying down your unfunded Uh, second we see the investment earnings and also a decrease um, in the ual of about 322 million dollars this year um, the assets return for fiscal year in 2023 they returned a little over 5%, which is below your 7.2% expected return. But you did have deferred gains from previous years investment gains that we use this, you know, as it smoothed in over time. And so the return on your actuarial value of assets was closer to 8%. So you've got that small gain uh, on the actual value of assets. Uh, That was almost all offset by liability losses that happened this year, and I'm going to talk more about that in a couple more slides, so I won't go into detail now. Um, but then there was one other piece. Um, we did some minor programming adjustments to our valuation software, which increased your liabilities by about 115 million, which is an increase in your UAL. And that was to um, to tighten up and to uh, mitigate future uh, liability losses going forward. And I want to reiterate too that. uh, your liability is about $35 billion. So these changes, though they are in millions of dollars, are still relatively small um, in comparison to your overall assets and liabilities. (laughs) Moving to the change in your employer contribution rate, the uh, rates decreased from 18.2% to 16.9%. The first item uh, that shows a decrease is that it's a 2018 supplemental COLA of 1.33% a decrease in the rate. And what that is, is back in 2018, there were enough assets, uh, excess earnings to grant supplemental COLA's to those members who are eligible, those retirees. And that supplemental COLA under your funding policy gets paid off over a five-year period. So the 2022 valuation was the last valuation where you needed to uh, pay for that supplemental COLA. So that's fully paid now in the 2023 valuation. Um, Payroll growth uh, actually reduced your contribution by about 20 basis points and we haven't really talked about payroll growth yet um, and how that impacts your contribution rates is based um, on how it impacts your UAL payments. Those UAL payments, when they're created, are created so that they increase with uh, wage, in, the expected wage inflation of 3.25 percent, and that's also the same uh, assumption that we use for your payroll growth rate. So over, so what that means is that over the course of an amortization period, that is going to remain level as a percentage of pay. So when the payroll deviates from that assumption, if it grows at a faster or slower pace, you're going to get small Uh, deviations and how it affects your UAL payments, and that's what that 20 basis points is. Uh, The investment uh, gain for this year, that $322 million gain, uh, translates into about a 60 basis point decrease in your contribution rate, and then the liability increases, uh, increased your contribution rate by about 75 basis points. Next slide, please. So here we're uh, looking at the sources of those liability gains and losses, um, and it's made of about eight different components here. Um, and one, a couple of these things uh, that we look at um, are retirement experience, mortality experience, and what that means is, and those are the kind of the main uh, ones that people tend to focus on, is um, the retirement experience is when when members retire and if they're retiring earlier or later than we anticipated based on our actual assumptions. Mortality experience is based on you know, how long are members going to live and if they live longer than anticipated, that's that's going to be a loss to the system because you're paying out more benefits. So Over the course of the last five years, um, the system has experienced liability losses each of those five years, but those have generally been less than 1% of your expected liabilities, so very small. Um, And The biggest impact on your liabilities over the last five years in terms um, of of experience is the salary losses. Those salary losses are those green bars, and salaries um, are about 57% of that liability loss over these last five years. With the other um, assumptions like retirement terminations, disabilities and such, uh, just over 40% the last source of liability gains and loss in this chart here are those old safety old safety colas the basic colas and those are tied to the active member salary increases and over the last two years we've seen losses there because we've seen higher than expected uh, salary increases for those safety members so those old safety uh, retirees have gotten higher colas than we anticipated but prior to that we were showing and or we were seeing um liability gains for the old safety colas. Next slide, please. So this chart here is showing um, the changes in the unfunded actual liability over the last 10 years for each of the valuations that we've done. And then the chart on the right simply adds all of those sources together uh, for an aggregate change in the UAL. And you can see, uh, we were just talking about liability losses. Those are the gray bars. In the, in the charts, and you can see that those have totaled to um, $1.2 billion over 10 years, but it's by far the least impactful source of gain or loss uh, for your unfunded. Um, what's to note here, uh, specifically looking at those the gold bars, those gold bars are your a- asset experience and your actuarial value of assets and those are just shy of $5 billion over the last 10 years. So your asset returns have decreased your unfunded accrued liability by almost $5 billion. Um, then also to note is the contributions coming into the fund have decreased your, your UAL by about $2 billion. And you can see those red bar, the red bars each and every year have been decreases to your unfunded actual reliability each and every year based on your contribution policy. Um, the supplemental COLA um, have increased your UAL by about $1.3 billion. And then the assumptions the purple bars have increased your unfunded liability by about 1.7 billion. Um, And those assumption changes include uh, reducing that discount rate or your assumed rate of return from 7.5 at the beginning of of 2014 to 7.2% as of today. And it also um, includes some tightening of mortality and retirement assumptions as well. Next slide, please. So we've been talking about deviations from the actuarial assumption and what those impacts have been on your contribution rates and your UAL. Uh, Now we're going to look forward to uh, projections and what we're looking at in terms of your funded status and your assets and liabilities going forward. Um, Here in the future, past 2023, we're assuming that all assumptions are met each and every year of the projection um, that's including a 7.2 percent assumed rate of return each and every year and we also include an assumption here for supplemental colas uh, prior to 2023 we s- we're seeing the history of the funded status and the uh, assets and liabilities so the assets are represented by the lines the actual value of asset, or the smooth value, is the teal line, and you can see prior to 2023, it is much smoother than the, the market value, which is shown with the uh, the green line. Uh, and the bars represent the liabilities. Um, prior to 2023, if it's a if it's a black bar, that means that there was a supplemental cola granted in that year. If it's a light bar, it means that there was no supplemental cola granted, um, and Basically, from 2013 to 2023, you can see that the funded ratio has increased from 84% to 95% on a market value basis. Um, and back in 2021, you can see that on a market value basis that the assets are higher than the liabilities and you were over 100% funded at that point. But going forward, we're anticipating steady funding. Uh, steady, very steady uh, improvement in your, or not improvement in your funding ratio, but a very steady funded ratio of about 95% over the course of the next 10 years. So where we're at right now, we're still anticipating that you're going to remain close to that level. Next slide, please. So this projection is showing your contribution rates. and the bars represent the actual contribution rates the top bars are the employer rate and the bottom bars are the employee rates Um, the line uh, the dark blue line represents what those projections of contributions look like in 2000 from our 2022 valuation so you can see that uh, the projected contributions are just slightly higher than what we were showing last year. And that's due to those small asset losses on the market value and then the liability losses as well. Um, to note here is uh, the sharp decline and consistent decline in the contribution rate since 2021. And what we're showing here, we're showing the contributions after these cost sharing adjustments. So this is actually what the members and employers pay it went from 23 per, 23.4% for fiscal year in 2021 and now it's down to 15.3% for the employer and you're seeing a similar uh, some reductions for the employees as well going from close to 11% down to 9.3% for the the coming year um, and then going forward, uh, to note that it's just relatively stable contribution rates for both the employer and the employee, um, for the employer around 15 or 16%. I know bill in his first slide said 17% that that was based on employer contribution rates prior to this cost sharing adjustment. And then for the employee member rates, it's going to be around nine to 10%, assuming all assumptions are met going forward. Are there any questions with this part of the presentation before Bill does more stress testing and scenarios?
15: Yeah, I want to make sure I'm reading this chart as well as the same point a couple pages back. With the shared costs for the employee going from 9.8 to 9.3, and I know it's a combination of all the plans and all the tiers, should our members expect a contribution rate deduction starting in July?
18: on on average. Yes. Well, on average yes there are some some that won't see any yet but yes you're correct if yeah. if you are have a high enough compensation level that you have you are
15: you group, have the joy yeah.
18: of cost sharing with the employer then yes that, you that would anticipate
15: okay thank you At approximately half a percent
18: that is correct
20: depending on the group yeah thank you yeah. Yeah. all right
19: next slide Next slide. Uh, So we know Anne showed you projections based on all of our assumptions being met. We know that they won't all be met. And so we want to talk a little bit about the sensitivity and give you a a sense of how those things could change. This uh, chart is a tool uh, that you can look at to kind of get your sense of what's going to happen in the next year. The contribution rate we've calculated for fiscal year end 2025 is shown in the gold line with 16.91. And the blue line is what we would project the contribution to be given the investment return for the current year shown on the x-axis. So we're showing from minus 15% to a plus 30%. And so you can see um, on the far left side, or middle left, uh, you would have to have a return uh, below minus 3% to have a contribution uh, above the current contribution because of the, the forces that are pushing it down. The uh, exception to that is right around 7%, you start triggering a supplemental COLA. And A supplemental COLA has the most impact on your contribution rate if you earn just enough assets to have a supplemental COLA. And so it spikes up there between uh, 7 and 8% returns for the year. And then above 8% returns, that starts driving the the contribution back down again. There's another bump down when you hit 100% funding Uh, because that changes the way we we amortize costs uh, under the system. So that's why you have that sort of strange pattern. But you can see uh, there is a range to what happens to your contribution rates in the next year. Can we go to the next slide? Now... um, For quite a few years, we've been providing you these stress test scenarios. They are uh, highly theoretical, not expected to be realistic scenarios. They're just intended to give you a sense of the um, volatility or potential range of contributions and outcomes. We build the scenarios off of Wilshire's ten-year capital market assumptions and an expected return of 7.7 and a standard deviation of 14.7. And so um, you can see for the one-year shock scenario in the table on the right, we've taken the minus 13.7% that in the table on the left is a 5th percentile or 95th percentile, depending on how you order it, return. And then for the positive version, we took the 34.4. And we did similar things for the five-year moderate and significant scenarios just from the the five-year distribution. So that's the source of the scenarios. They're not a prediction of what's going to happen, but just to give you a sense of the the sensitivity. Now, uh, we can go to the next slide. The appendix uh, of our presentation has Uh, the projections for each individual scenario broken out so that you can look at those. I'm not going through that. This uh, chart tries to summarize them and give you the the top line on what happens to employer contribution rates for that. The black line is the baseline projection that Ann showed you earlier of the contributions. And then you can see the... the, uh, one year shock is in gold, the five year moderate in blue, and the five year significant in that pink or light red. Uh, give you a sense of how um, variant the contributions could be uh, with just, in these scenarios, after five years, they just go back to the assumed rate of return. Um, what, what's the employer curve? What color? These are all the employer contribution rate, but under different economics. Right okay, right, okay. Uh, the gray is the gray area is a stochastic projection of the fifth to ninety-fifth percentile. So 90% of the time right, we'd expect it. you to be in that gray area. But uh, on the graph Anne showed the contribution decrease the last few years looked pretty significant. But when you put this forward spread and you can see we could get much higher or much lower depending on what the investment returns do. Yeah. so um, the last uh, the last slide I really want to well no I've got a couple I need to touch but let's go to the next one. Um, that that spread uh, is really div- driven by the maturity of your plan. And in particular, what we mean by maturity um, is probably different than what you think of normally as a mature concept. Uh, normally, a mature, when you think of a mature person, they're pretty even-keeled, stable. A mature pension plan is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. It's very sensitive and very uh, reactive uh, to things. And what we mean by that is that the same outcome causes a greater change in contribution rates for a mature plan. And and so one of the measures we use which is very effective at looking at investment sensitivity is the asset leverage ratio. It's just your level of assets divided by your payroll And, and that gives you a ratio. And yours is about eight and so what that means is if you had a 10% investment loss compared to our assumption of 7.2, that's equivalent to about 80% of payroll. And we have to make up for that 80% of payroll through contributions. The median plan here, instead of it being 80% of payroll, that same investment loss would only be 56% of payroll. And so that would have less of an impact on their contributions. So uh, the chart here, where I said the median plan, the chart here is uh, data from publicplansdata.org. It's a database maintained by the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College of uh, over 200 (coughs) public pension plans. And so the bars show the range of the asset leverage ratio for all the plans in the database and the gold diamond shows ESFERs. And so you are, um, you have a higher leverage ratio than about three quarters of the public plans out there. So you're more sensitive to investment risk or investment volatility will cause more changes in contributions uh, for you than three quarters of the plans out there. Now, for California, you're, um, you're close much closer to the median and um, and part of the reason that you're high for nationally is because you're much better funded than the plans nationally as well. so the more assets you have, uh, the more sensitive you're going to be given a, a fixed payroll base. Does that make sense so it's it's not a bad thing to have a high Ratio, but it is just a, something that comes with the territory. It is, sorry, Mike. No, no. Please.
10: So you're sort of saying we just have more to lose, essentially? Like we have a higher percentage? Of-
19: you also have more to gain. Right. It's, it goes both directions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you had zero assets, your ratio would be zero, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, you definitely don't want to be there, but it, it's just understanding that uh, how that translates to now your sensitivity or how much your contribution rates will, will fluctuate. Now, we we take steps to help uh, moderate that so that you don't get the volatility.
10: You're talking uh, about the smoothing? Yeah, we yeah.
19: use the smoothing and the amortization period. That helps if returns go up and down and up and down. But if, if things move to a different level, either up or down, we're going to follow uh eventually and that's what you're going to be more sensitive to you're going to have higher hills to climb and uh deeper valleys that you can go in (laughs) so it goes both ways and
10: and if we were to take this to the contribution it means that we shouldn't sort of just project out long term in one direction or the other that since we're more exposed to that risk we can have upward and downward year to year
19: yeah, it, it's really just an have. awareness for you to understand that you, you are going to have more of that volatility, and, and you take that into consideration when you're developing your investment policy and deciding um, what levels you want uh, to take. Um, but just understanding that, and and you can model it to see exactly how it affects your contributions. But just wanted to make sure you you understood kind of how you s- compare with other systems out there.
10: Thank you. And sorry if I can indulge a little more. And Jeanette, thanks for some of the help you ha- gave me in the lead-up uh, to today's meeting on this. Um, other than sort of de-risking, which staff has already set as a priority, you know, trying to um, make us a little more insulated against risk, um, you kind of described it as a life cycle of the pension, and, and a lot of West Coast pensions have gone and go, going in this direction. Is there a, other than that sort of structural thing, is there anything else about our pension that we should be aware of that um, creates that, this ecosystem for us? Or is it really just that we're maturing and that's really the primary and maybe even sole factor that's driving us towards this?
19: It, yeah, I think it is really the, the sole factor. The, uh, and, and You seem to have matured at a uh, regular smooth rate the systems that have gotten into trouble have seen a sudden change where actually their their payroll or revenue supporting the sponsor has declined. You're clearly not in, in that situation, so it's much more of just the the natural cycle of the the pension plan and, and building things things out.
10: So then, what would be the area of concern that we should think about in the future? If we're we're grateful that we're in this circumstance that we've sort of gained at this steady rate, but what would be the next factor that we should be having a red flag or keeping an eye out for?
19: Well, you sh- you should just be monitoring this, and we this appears every year in your valuation report. We don't necessarily bring it to the meeting every year, um, so we are monitoring to see if there are any sudden changes uh, in your situation. But uh, ultimately, it, it just gets it's another factor to consider in your. Um, sort of your your cost-benefit decisions on on how you approach the plan.
15: Thank you. If we were to desire, for prudent reasons, to lower our assumed rate of return because we wanted to be more conservative, higher liquidity, whatever, uh, would that then increase that asset leverage ratio?
19: No, the asset leverage ratio is independent of how you're investing. but what it does say is you're less likely to have a 10% investment loss
15: that's the point or, or, it changes that number okay yeah, thank you for the yeah, clarification
19: yeah. so um, it it's just it goes into that calculation and there there's not a single right answer right it's a, a judgment of how you how you balance that and what's appropriate for each system um Can we skip ahead to the next slide? Um, We do have an interactive model. We don't have it set up to actually do things today, but uh, that's the sort of thing we could uh, look at if you were actually interested in pursuing this. We could uh, uh, model these things interactively for you. Uh, So let's just go to the conclusion slide. Um, So again, you are in a, a very good place. You're um, very well funded compared to other systems, uh, and the projected employer contributions are expected to remain pretty level over the next 20 years. There's not like a hill out there you're looking to, to climb or anything. Uh, the But there is a wide range of what can happen based on uh, your investment returns, uh, and as those get invested. Uh, recognized in the smoothing and amortization so um, you're in a good place we keep monitoring it Uh, you've done very well over the uh, and showed uh, how much you've reduced the UAL over the last 10 years Uh, everything really is in a good place but we do have to point out that there is still a wide range of outcomes uh, going forward
9: I would
1: I would basically say that we've, we've been a little lucky in some years to get there. Um, and I, I think everybody at Spurs is pulling an oar that sort of wants to institutionalize it rather than luck. <laughs> and with your guide, and, and this type of guidance is great. It's sort of sobering because you come out of getting through a bad period and you're, you know you're patting yourself on the back staff and everything and then you know air comes out of the balloon because you get your other problems but I we appreciate all the information you and Jeanette have been giving
17: us
15: with all due respect I would say that 90 to 95% of our alpha was not dependent on luck it was based on the skill of our staff
1: I agree. Thank you. <laughs> I just said there's an element of luck. Well, 100%. I, I didn't, I have to leave a,
15: a margin of error in there for me. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, okay. We're going to go about some structural things in the spurs
15: <laughs> five
10: years ago or six years ago. Um, one other question. Yep. Me. Um, so, just going back a little bit to page three of your presentation, uh, and I think you kind of explained a little bit more about its impact in the later slides. You'd mentioned you did in a presentation, I think it was earlier today, where the number of the liability was above ours, and ours is at 60. If we're projecting out forward, is, as plans mature, can you give us a little, maybe a little more one-on-one education that, like, should we just continue to expect that number to continue to go up, or have you seen where mature plans tend to see it go down? Yeah, so what, there's what, a... what should we be expecting, right. and then what should we be concerned by if we don't see that?
19: So the... Um... It, there is a strong tendency for that uh, level to go up, but it doesn't always go up, it, and it's uh, going to be driven by how the active population grows, so how the city grows, uh, its active population, and the, the revenues and payroll that support it. So, faster growth will, even with all the commitments to retirees, would drive that number down. Mm-hmm. Uh having the flip side of that is is the uh if the city does not grow and declines and revenue declines you'll see that ratio go up much faster and and that is a concerning situation for a retirement system
10: so it's safe to say that part of the reason why we've been able to have this sort of stable pathway is that the city's active uh employed group has grown at a rate that it keeps that percentage in line?
19: Yeah, has been stable or growing. Yeah. Most of our, all of our projections have an implied assumption that the active population remains stable. Mm.
10: Okay. As a percentage.
19: No, just, the, the number of active employees the number, remains constant. As opposed to going down. As right.
10: opposed to going just,
17: down.
19: I or going up. It's just yeah. constant. So anyone no, who's... Anyone who retires is replaced.
10: Understood. Thank you. Mm
19: -hmm. Question. Um,
1: If I'm a supervisor, I was going to ask uh, Commissioner Guardia do do we give this report or any summary of this in our budget? Obviously, it's in, in the budget that we submit to the Board of Supervisors. Or does this information trickle down? It does.
15: But not in the budget. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: can. All right. But
15: I think then. Go ahead. Uh, on, I am trying to make sure this page just it, it touches on what's on uh, not just page three. I'm talking about the asset leverage ratio. You're probably aware of that we're doing our three year annual review. And it's not because we have a new consultant, but. This time the approach, the question is more laid out about our risk appetite. This sort of shows the consequences of if we want to do more or less or accept more or less. Graphically, it shows it, let alone how to explain it, how it may affect the contribution rate to the employer. So uh, th- thanks for doing this. You may not have thought that's how this should get applied, or maybe you do understand that's how it should be considered. So,
19: Well, hopefully, it's a, an easy metric to, to look at to kind of get a sense from. That's
15: what we hope. No, that part is could we control it. In terms of that other uh, ratio you were just talking about, we, we do not control if the employer is going to hire more people or not, or pay them more or not. Mm-hmm. So we have no control over that. But that it reflects the situation based on what we do here. Because we're obligated to pay the retired. Yes. OK. Thank you.
19: Good. All right. Any other questions? We um yeah. mm-hmm. so yeah. questions? No. Say what? Questions?
18: We ask that the board adopt the July 1, 2023 actuarial valuation report. So moved. Second.
15: Okay. Public
18: comment?
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? Seeing none, a reminder to any callers to press star 3 to be added to the queue. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
3: Okay.
1: It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Those opposed? Motion carries. Next item, please.
0: Item number 15, action item, adoption of an employer contribution rate of 16.91% for the fiscal year 2024-25.
18: Commissioners, the employer contribution rate was developed in the actual report just presented to the board, and we ask that the commissioners now adopt the recommended employer contribution rate of 16.91% for fiscal year and 2025.
1: The motion's in order. So moved. Second. Public comment, please.
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? Seeing none, moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: You hear no calls. Public comment is now closed.
1: It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, motion carries. Next item, please.
0: Thank you. you. Item number 16, discussion item, chief executive officer's report. Just one question.
1: Thank you. Thank you you very much.
12: Commissioners, the um, CEO report for this month is relatively straightforward. I would like to remind all of you that it's, again, that time of year with respect to the Form 700 Statement of Economic Interest. You all should have received an email about completing that form. The filing deadline is Tuesday, April 2nd. The materials that you have before you include our quarterly travel (laughs) expense report for your review. And uh, please note that the NASAMAN conference report has been extended to include the full uh, calendar year for 2024. So there are certainly a a number of good opportunities there. If you're interested, certainly reach out to me or to our board secretary to explore attending one of these uh, training events. Do you have any questions?
1: Any questions of okay, this is discussion item. We, uh, public comment.
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? See none, moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you, hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Okay, call the next item, please.
0: Item number 17, discussion item. San Francisco Deferred Compensation Plan, Quarterly Report, Q423.
21: Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, new glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for noticing. These are old glasses, but I did put them on today. Right, okay. <laughs> um, happy Lunar New Year to you all. Um, I think it's a uh, part of the cultural custom to wish you all a joyous and prosperous year ahead. Today, I will. (laughs) I don't have any of those. Uh, Maybe this weekend. Um, Today, I'll be presenting the SFDCP quarterly report, which covers the four main pillars of the plan investments, marketing, operations, and the record keeper. Um, On the investment side, we are pleased to announce an 11 BIP increase for the stable value fund crediting rate. So, this rate is reset every quarter and has been reset for Q1 to 3.01%. This is guaranteed for all of Q1, and it will be reset in Q2. It continues to hold, the Stable Value Fund continues to hold nearly a billion in SFDCP assets, and is considered our capital preservation vehicle for conservative investors. As of the end of last year, SFDCP assets are now back up to over 5 billion, with a B. As a follow-up action to what we had presented to the board in December, we are pleased to share progress on implementing the reduced costs for some of SFDCP's core funds by April 5th of this year. Core funds are available for direct investment in the SFDCP as opposed to underlying funds that make up our target date funds. As a result of Callan's periodic fee analysis, we have identified five funds eligible for fee reductions of around $400,000 annually, and those savings are passed directly back to the respective mm-hmm. investors. These reduced fees are available through new share classes or vehicles that the plan is qualified for. So for instance, Fidelity's low Price stock fund just recently now allowed non-record-kept plans, access to their CIT platform. A CIT is a collective investment trust, which is a pooled investment vehicle, and it's only available to the largest institutional investors, like the plan. It is highly regulated by the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC, and state-level banking regulators, which leads to reduced administrative and operational costs. So unlike mutual funds, the SEC requires that and other entities to complete certain processes as part of its regulatory duties, such as issuing a prospectus or creating a board of directors independent of the fund, which increase costs. And those costs are passed down to the individual investors. So with institutional investors, we have the board, we have the consultant, we have other people who are making sure that the investments are... Um, appropriate and performing well the no questions on the investment i'd like to move on to marketing given the success of our new caregivers webinar it was presented during national retirement security month that's october of last year we have created an on-demand webinar that is available to view anytime on sfdcp.org i believe it was at the request of commissioner driscoll so we're proud to report that that is now available and live it's titled planning for a lifetime of caregiving, and is designed specifically for caregivers who actually make up over 21% of the American population. The disability community is also the largest minority group in the U.S., which includes the aging population of folks who have Alzheimer's, dementia, and mobility issues. So with 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 years old every day until 2030, the data shows us that seven out of 10 will require long-term care. As such, we wanted to provide support for caregivers now to help them navigate the resources available to them and their dependents. We also included a draft of our 2024 SFD communications on page five, Um, And I'm sorry, this is in the memo before you, so you can reference it in the memo. Thank you, Darlene. There it is, on the bottom. And um, it covers our initiatives for each quarter. And of course, I'll be reporting on those on a monthly basis to the board. One item I'd like to call out that is new to the board is if you look at Q2, we have a bullet called Retiree Benefits. So this is a new Retiree Benefits webinar. Um, and it's designed to basically inform retired participants that they can stay in the plan. The benefits of staying in the plan, such as institutional cost. We also have other um, high-touch offerings, like a managed account, and also a withdrawal strategy, which is what a lot of folks in retirement really look for. And we have begun to actually make more contact with the retiree group we used to have Joe Collins. He was our primary contact with our ECCSF. We have since now um, asked Tony Chu, who has been in um, active contact with Claire Savansky. So he's been working with her to um, get the SFDCP um, a section in their monthly meetings and to work on this webinar that we feel will be helpful to retirees. Any questions on marketing? Okay, And then on the operations front, move to the um, next slide, please. Thank you. I'm delighted to inform you of a new hire to the SFDCP crew. Her name is Rachel Lum, and she comes to us from the controller's office. She is also a Cal grad and has been an excellent addition to the team and has hit the ground running drafting procedures and processes for books and records as she's currently learning them. So as you know, our plan is very small. We have a very small team, uh, small but mighty, but we are thrilled to fill this resource gap. So thank you so much to the board for approving this FTE. I believe it was two years ago. So thank you for that. (laughs) Please feel free to stop by and say hello to Rachel on the fifth floor. uh, Regarding Secure 2.0, the variable age 60 provision will be presented to the DCC next week as a reminder this optional provision goes into effect january 2025 so at the end of this year and it allows participants who are between ages 60 to 63 to contribute an additional catch-up amount of over ten thousand dollars so catch-up amounts usually range between like seven seventy five hundred this is a special provision only for that age group to kind of give them an extra bump because the irs felt that it was more critical for those folks just about to approach retirement. It's separate from special catch-up. Um, we have about 2,000 participants who would qualify for this provision, and we wanna make sure that the plan can offer the maximum amounts allowed by the IRS. Our partners at the Controller's Office and IT have scheduled this project to begin right after fiscal year end, which is around July 2024. There's also the 140 140- 145k Roth provision, that is a mandatory one. That is not in effect until January 2026, although plans are allowed to roll that out this year if they are able. Many plans are not uh, due to the administrative headache. Um, So after discussion, the secure 2.0 stakeholder team had agreed to table the Roth provision until the successful rollout of the bearable h 60, I just informed the board about. This is in line with many other plans. And then finally, um, on the next page, thank you, Ms. Armonino. On the record keeper side, we are pleased to announce the rollout of a new SFDCP dashboard in January. This new look and feel, as you can see on the screen, is designed to provide a single private cyber safe space to bring your whole financial picture together. It provides a bird's eye view to help make more informed decision on your finances, such as account consolidation or budgeting, transactional history or your whole net worth and linking other accounts. Screenshots uh, are provided for you on slide seven. And finally, I've also included here some focal points that was found in a recent VOYA workplace trend study. It's designed to, to provide plant sponsors like ourselves, you know, update on the latest work trends, such as mental health and working remote and generative AI. So that's there for your viewing pleasure. We also, as you guys know, include the quarterly activity report, which is on the next page. Those include performance numbers. If you're interested to hear Sorry about... Sorry to
10: interrupt. Oh, yeah. I just had a question about the previous slide. Sir, sure. Can you expound a little bit about the... Comment about or the item about artificial intelligence there?
21: <laughs> well, actually, yes. That's mm. why we have Mr. Bishop Bestine.
16: Sure. Was, was there a specific question in that regards?
10: I, or, I mean, uh, I I definitely have seen it, you know, mm-hmm. used in a lot of sort of casual space. You know, you want to write a thank you card really quick right. or something like right. that. But I'm uh, I and mean, I understand there's professional applications, but for the consumer logging into a website to -hmm. to manage their money, what would be an example, let's say, where generative AI would be a benefit to one of our members who's logging into their uh, deferred comp account?
16: I'll take maybe two examples. Uh, One, someone who's under age 50 who may be contributing only $100 paycheck, but their projection for their retirement needs is much higher they will get messaging with regards to looking at their contribution rates and whether or not they wanna examine that for future contribution changes to get them on track. Uh, Maybe more applicable though, that's dialing in a little bit further, is someone who's age 50. We're gonna use that age-based data of that individual based on the data that we also have within our system. If they're not taking advantage of the age 50 catch-up, they will get a special push out of a message to them to remind them of that capability and availability to them as they uh, are approaching further into retirement or near retirement as well. Most of our AI is around that type of processing and messaging. Um, There is backroom AI that's being used to process withdrawals, uh, loans, that type of things, but uh, more high-level AI use for us as a firm.
10: So is, is it essentially like providing advice on investment decisions to these folks?
16: No, we won't uh, provide advice. There is AI, I guess I would say, capabilities or application to the investment tools that we have for managed account use, right? Because in that sense, you're allowing us to, based on suitability standards and communication of of suitability um, survey or questionnaire, to provide investment advice to you to manage your account. So that is, you know, does have some, some AI capability, but for the general population logging in, it's more about the right message at the right time, based about where they're at and the information we have with regard that regarding that person.
10: So these are sort of factors that your staff have put into the system, and then Correct. it's notifying based on sort of preset thing data pre-set that it criteria. knows about those.
16: Correct, right? The other, the one other area that's a little bit unique too <clears throat> for us is um, AI use with regards to fraud alerts. So if a fraudster was to gain uh, control of your account, and let's say just at their base level went in and changed your banking information from a bank based in the San Francisco area to you know, Florida as example, but your address didn't change, that's gonna raise flags within our system to monitor the account and then continue that process you know, for monitoring based on other activities that might happen within the account. Ultimately, maybe even leading to the locking of the account so that no transactions can take place until we validate the person itself. Thank you. You And if that isn't enough, I'm sure you're going to get more. (laughs) In time, most likely.
11: Would you happen to know if you're working with any particular tools or vendors, or is it just internal team using open source tools?
16: I'm sorry. The first part I didn't quite
21: hear. Um, are you working with any
16: AI vendors? No. It, most of our work right now, like the, the security example I it, um, ex- gave as an example, that's all internal as well. And staffing is internal also.
21: Okay, well that, that actually concludes um, my quarterly update. I believe I've answered some of the questions. I'd like to now hand it over to Mr. Bestine to cover the plan review. He will do it at a high level, I understand, the hour and we are the last item. So um, Darlene, if you could, yes, thank you so much.
16: And I probably won't go through the different slides just to keep it easier. I thought that I might just focus on a couple key themes or categories that, that are noted within the report itself. As Ms. Chewy Justin referenced in her comments, plan assets did increase up to over five billion dollars at the end of the year. So that is a high level that we a high level mark we reached during the quarter. Also specifically, I wanted to highlight the net increase in the number of accounts. We had 279 new accounts during uh, December alone. That pushed us up just over another percent on the, the number of accounts that we held, and also it changed the, uh, the participation rate in the plan to put it right, put us right at that 60% level as well. To highlight one item that I touched on last quarter, and just to touch on it again, I put it under the theme of stabilization. Uh, if you look at the report with regards to distributions in the plan, they were stabilized. When you look back over prior quarters, you might recall Q3 had an ex- exceedingly high number of uh, rollovers out of the plan uh, the numbers that you see now at 27 uh, million are roughly in line with which would have would have occurred in Q1 and Q2 so stabilization for now continue to take steps as ms Julie Justin said through communications and outreach of our partic- our counselors to keep uh, plan assets in the plan at the end of the day and then a final note just kind of going back to the theme of uh, increases i did want to highlight the work of our counselors uh, as Ms. Chewy, Justin said, during October, uh, the activities in that month were very good, uh, you know, across the board throughout the city and county. Uh, we actually had over 2,300 net one-on-one employee meetings uh, throughout the quarter, which was the highest number throughout the entire year from a quarterly basis. Uh, we're strongly, you know, we, we're aware of the fact that we start from zero again each year, right? Uh, so we know that we have to keep on our toes. We're looking at different ways to make sure that we have, are increasing the access of the counselors into different work sites, as well as trying to make the job easier for them to reach out to employees and have those conversations and keep people on track for retirement. So unless there are other questions, I would uh, pause there. Yes.
15: I have one yep. question regarding the participants. Do you have a count or a percentage of the People who are eligible to participate who are not members of SFRS.
21: Oh, yes. Yeah. So you mean the people who are not eligible for the pension, mm-hmm. and there, yeah, those folks actually are required to be in the plan.
15: Did we make that in, in, enroll enrollment? Re, it's actually enrollment? part of
21: the process when they onboard because they get a, the payroll division sends them a special sheet that says you're not eligible for this. Therefore, you must put eight percent or more into Social Security and the DC plan. I don't have that exact number for you, but it does exist.
15: At your convenience, please send me that information. And then they had the right to reject the auto enrollment, but the default is the rent, correct?
21: We don't have auto enrollment. I know,
15: but you said they have to do it.
21: Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. You're talking about those. Oh, that's a good point. I, do you know actually? Don't know.
15: Because we've have. been discussing auto enrollment, but I we've don't put it know. They
21: can reject it. That's a good point. I don't think they can. Because they can opt out. San Jose yeah. has a mandatory, a mandatory. Those so yeah. mandatory,
15: but it's the this deferred comp.
21: understand yeah, the so. issue.
15: At your convenience, please send me the number. Okay.
21: Okay. okay. Okay.
15: Good report. Okay.
21: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thank you, Commissioner. Good report,
1: thank you very much. As usual, your report's report. we have public comment?
0: Do we have any in-person public comment on this item? See none. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you, hearing no calls, public comment is now closed.
1: Good. Call the next item, please.
0: Item number 18 discussion item retirement board member good to the order
12: If I may just quickly thank all the commissioners there was a lot to get through today and a lot of really important topics I know you all came prepared uh, with with good questions in advance and during this meeting and it made for a very productive session so thank you mm.
1: If you had bolted on our our investments oh god <laughs> we, we'd be having cocktails on
15: <laughs> I have one question and one observation. Um, it has to do with engaging any of our managers if their, their performance or their behavior is, um, i say not up to snuff, but we vote we listen to all sorts of complaints. Are. You heard people coming. I'm just wondering, has it ever gotten to a point where we ask staff to go out and engage that manager? Is there any way you can treat your clients better or your employees nicer? I know sometimes it's, we're not in the portfolio company, but we're there via a manager. I'm just wondering, do we ever engage?
12: Um, yeah, I mean, it's part of, part of the process, and hopefully I'm – uh, understanding your question but both public market and private markets were in constant dialogue with our managers in terms of their how, how they manage the portfolio and that that from time to time could include specific holdings within the the portfolio and dialogue around that
15: okay so your your staff is doing things like that after we hear I'm saying we hear complaints, but we're we're acting on it. We're not just nodding our head.
12: And I would also add more broadly, as we've talked to the commissioners in the past, we have a um, ESG procedure, if you will. Um, it's, it's really more than ESG. It's, it's any uh, risk that comes to our attention post-investment. We have a process for evaluating the risk, evaluating the materiality of the risk, and as necessary, engaging with the, the manager to address it.
15: OK let's say I understand the process, we'll see if anything happened. Um, then I make a totally unrelated comment. Um, only because another, this relates to what a board member did here many years ago. Um, I guess, like most people here in San Francisco, disappointed our Niners did not win. But one point of relief to that is that many years ago, one of the appointed members recommended that we should buy the 49ers.
17: <laughs>
15: we did not do that, which was, that's the way it goes kind of a thing but I do know a way of calculating if we had done them wow. and if they had won the Super Bowl yesterday, how much more investment would have been, how much money we have made. It would have been definitely above our assumed rate of return. Mm-hmm. But we didn't invest, <laughs> we didn't so, invest. so my apologies. Since they didn't win, I can say, well, we didn't lose that money. We didn't invest I don't invest
1: worry you that up. <laughs>
18: <laughs> I know, I can't yeah. uh, so so may, Maybe any,
1: next then, year. Uh, you know what, if we... When we announced that uh, that investment, we probably would, all would have been taken out and shot. <laughs> what? I, yeah.
10: I look forward in, to an annual update from Commissioner Driscoll on how the, the value of opportunity cost yeah. of <laughs> return <laughs> of if we had bought. An I NFL like time. that. Yeah.
1: So and my agenda item: forty nine or opportunity cost. Okay, so um, we had public comment, and now we'll go to the next item.
0: We'll do public comment now. Um, we yeah. have no in-person public comment on this item. Moderator, do we have any callers on the line?
3: Madam Secretary, there are no callers on the line.
0: Thank you. Hearing no calls, public comment is now closed. Item yeah. number 19, adjournment.
1: Adjournment. All right. Okay.
16: Thank you.
0: I should
1: have brought this up in the, the, of the order, but I'm giving this to... Um,